And with that, friends, on a Monday, and maybe not the way we planned it to be, it's OGP, One Giant Podcast, where, of course, I'm Adam Marbrecht covering the Giants here, the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked on Nets podcast. And over there is the generational season ticket holder tailgating fan for the New York football Giants, the healthy, wealthy, and wise, though slightly depressed, Andrew McElwitz. Slightly depressed, slightly hungover. Wow. Slightly disappointed. Sure. There, there's a lot of slights going on in here, in here, Adam. And for uh, for all I'm the uh, <laughs> yes, I'm I'm feeling slighted. You know, a- after uh, paying money to to be in the stands and 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 see that debacle yesterday. So we're gonna get to obviously the the Giants lose uh, to the Broncos at home. Ultimately, 27-13. Maybe a little bit of window dressing to uh, to make that look more palatable at the end of it. We're of course gonna get into the game. Uh, there's a lot of negatives or a lot of things to at least take a look at, but there are still some positives. We're going to try to to balance the books a little bit because I think just about every Giants fan wants to lemming this thing off a cliff. So we'll we'll, we'll try to bring it back to neutral a little. Before we do, though, um, you, you mentioned being at the stadium because this is now fully back in action, right? No restrictions at Giants Stadium. Uh, I had my own little personal experience enjoying the game, my own little pre-game ritual that I got into. But but how was it being back in the parking lot? And you have a lot of family gets there for tailgating because you have the, all the ticket holders. So was it a was it a raucous, you know, good time pregame? But not knowing, not being omniscient, and knowing the the, the sadness that was to come. Well, so so we had a little bit of a smaller crowd um, for our tailgate uh, this time, but. The, the drinks were flowing. Everyone was in good spirits, music blasting all of the parking lot. You know, everybody was genuinely fi- and, and generally fired up for this game. And, you know, as the beers start, uh, you know, as you have one, two or three more, you get even more excited and, and more uh, bullish on the Giants chances. You know, Adam, I, I do have a, a gripe about the tailgating at Giants Stadium. And I Here think any listeners that are that are that are out there, uh, parking lot warriors, you know, you think that the Giants or teams in general would try to make the fan experience throughout the duration of when you're like going to the game, getting there, parking, tailgating. It's like they forget that like people at games and concerts are in the parking lot for four hours beforehand. And I'll give you an example. No Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi doesn't really <laughs> even work in the stadium. There's no Wi-Fi. You know how easy it would be just like on all the giant light posts to put like Wi-Fi extenders so everyone can get Wi-Fi out there? Genius idea. Uh, Second thing, there's no 5G data. So like we were trying to get Red Zone on one of the big screen TVs and there's no Wi-Fi. The 5G doesn't work because there's 80,000 fans that are trying to do the exact same thing that we're doing. And it's like if you just slightly improve these things, like it would make the three hours beforehand like a little bit better, right? People um, have had their complaints about the the stadium itself, right? But but now Andy's extending extending it out to the parking lot. Even, even some things beyond the perimeter of the stadium is also suffering. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I as someone who doesn't do a lot of the tailgating, but I'm I'm mildly uh, shocked that that the stadium and the surrounding area isn't just completely. It should be oh, you should almost be able to see the internet above your head uh, yeah. while while you're uh, in the parking are we in a, lot. Are we in a third world country? Like, how do I not have Wi Fi on the parking lot? It's Adam. It's it's simple things like that. Even like they know that people are going to be drinking out in a parking lot for four hours. Why didn't they make like semi permanent or permanent bathrooms in each section that are like actual real like structures? Instead, they have like three porter potties per five thousand people. In, you know that sit off off on the side of the parking lot like. 
to me, it, they, they completely are missing the fan experience. Not just the second that you sit in the seat, but like there's this whole thing around it. That is what giant fans love going to the stadium for. Well, listen, uh, they're also missing the point of the fan experience in terms of the product they're putting on the field. <laughs> I'll say that, uh, I, so I, I was at my apartment, but I'll, I'll just give you, I'll, I'll give you the quick hits. I made seared tuna with a honey glaze. I made red pepper flake salmon in the oven. I also did a honey chipotle chicken bites along with a delicious spinach, radish, and onion with a lemon vinaigrette. I was living it. And I, I mean, I mean, were, were you watching what's were you watching polo? What, what were you watching? Because so I started on the equestrian channel and I, <laughs> I did get confused briefly at the start of the day because I thought, oh, yeah, we can't wait to see those Broncos get out there. And it's just something, you know, a switch well, flipped in my mind. There, yeah. But ultimately, I got over the Giants game. Listen, I was trying to keep myself a little bit lighter, a little bit, you know, a little bit healthier for game day. Uh, and, and knowing the Thursdays just around the corner. And guess what? Nighttime game. That's when the chili comes out. That's when the projector gets out on the back patio, friends, and we watch what could be even more sadness up on the big screen. That being the case, there's there's plenty more to come from my uh, culinary expertise as I as I walk through the arts that is cooking on a uh, football Sunday. We get into the twenty the twenty seven thirteen loss uh, for the Giants at home to the Broncos. There, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack. Um, it was not it was not great, and the thirteen points comes with a last second rushing touchdown for Daniel Jones uh, that really does put a bit of as I say window dressing on 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 a pretty on a pretty rough day. Um, before we do get into the things that we want to pick apart or issues that may have been either singular in this game or ones that you know extrapolated out, this could be bigger picture problems for the season overall. What were some of the positives that you took out of this game? And I mean, I, th- I think I know right where you go to start. Well, uh, you know, tip tip of the cap. First first thing was getting fans back in the stadium. Mm-hmm. So Giant fans were excited. It's good to see, you know, people getting back together. The fans were, were loud, but a good crowd, good crowd on TV. I mean, it sounded like they were into the game for the time that they could be that the, yeah, the team I, allowed I mean, them to be. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. Like the team was waiting every single time for something good to happen. And, and you know, we talk about the good and you, you got to start with Sterling Shepard. I mean, he yeah. was clearly the best offensive player for the giants. Hands down. He looked explosive. It looked like every time they were getting him the ball, he was a playmaker. He basically looked like what I think, Giant fans are hoping Kadarius Tony's going to end up being like get the ball out in space and, and create. You know, you had seven catches, uh, 113 yards, and a touchdown. That touchdown got the fans going and it got people saying, We're moving this thing in the right direction. If the defense keeps this up and, and we start taking shots downfield, man, we've got a really good chance. Yeah, I like it. And I think he he did look and it, you know it's funny. We always t- we talked about him before. We talked about him in the preseason, the injuries that he's had over his career. It makes it hard, I think, sometimes to fully lean into what he can be as a receiver, right? So you got to see a sample size of that, certainly. And he was, as he said he wanted to be, Mr. Mr. Third Down, right? H- had a couple of nice catches, especially early in the game, to move the chains for the Giants. Um, I, listen, I, I know people will, won't be shocked when I say this. The offensive line was a positive in this game for, for everything that happened leading up to it. And there were... <laughs> There were some very uncomfortable moments uh, for, for, I think, uh, specifically on the right side, even your boy, Nate Solder. But 
I think when we came into this game, it was going to be, wow, is it going to be a bloodbath for Daniel Jones? Is he going to be on his back running for his life? And then we'll go from there with what's possible and what this team can do and whether or not they can run the ball and kind of set the tempo and all those things. The, the offensive line was serviceable. It's not, this isn't me giving them high praise across the board, but they did enough and enough consistently as I think we kind of said in the, in the preseason to allow the team to have success on a possession to possession basis, down to down uh, basis. So, you know, t- a tip of the cap to them, they looked good. And it, it you know, if I, I can throw out another positive, <laughs> but it, it's going to get brought back up later in the negative department. And that's the, I, I, the, the secondary was very good dot 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 we'll get there later but they did such a nice job of just keeping everything in front of them right really limiting what the opportunities were going to be for teddy bridgewater and the broncos offense i think ultimately there were failings there but this is why you sign a dory jackson this is why you have peppers and logan ryan and all these other weapons it, it looked early first couple of drives that you were like great you, you're gonna you want the little tiny nibbles around the fringe go ahead and enjoy them because you're never going to get to the big goal. And we know that that unravels a little bit down the road. Um, is, is there any other individual players? I know I went offensive line, but are there any other individual performances that stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, you you said the secondary was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, you know, Logan Ryan becoming the captain and, and going out there and, and forcing a turnover that, yeah, strong that's, that he, I, I think he played probably the best game on defense nearly you know. two as well right almost had the second one that got that wasn't a turnover it wasn't a fumble he was down but and uh, sorry I mean, i'm going to sidebar us here for a second hope jerry judy ends up being okay because that was a pretty brutal you know you get into that spot the ankle and everything else um that, that could have been another turnover ultimately stays with the broncos there yeah but but the the strip sat uh the strip fumble that he had earlier in the game when it looked like the broncos were going to go in for a touchdown i mean the yeah. athleticism that's exactly why you pay him the money that's why you put the c on it on his you know jersey in the front he, I thought he was really good. Um, there were some other challenges around the secondary, which we'll, we'll get into, like you said. But uh, overall, I, I I was okay with the defense. But then, you know, there there was a lot of issues to go around for, for in this game. Like it it feels it feels like I want to give them some credit, but then also I. I it it was like death by a thousand pinpricks when when we were out there and they were moving the ball down the field. Well, so okay, so here's how I wanted to because I thought about this and everybody was doing it yesterday, right? I mean, the immediate and the, the vitriol, the vitriol around the coaches and around players and the contract, all, all these things, right? But I think that there there, there are some things there that I want to touch on, and also I want to just try to isolate it to this game, right? Like, what were the things that didn't go so well? And I mean, underneath the category of plenty of things not to like, but but what surprised me was that by the end of this game, so I mentioned the secondary. It was surprising to me that there were multiple seven, eight-minute possessions for the Denver Bronco offense, right? Now, you saw this throughout earlier Sunday games. A lot of the commentators were saying, remember, this is the first game back. You have limited preseason, so the more those reps pile up is the more difficult it becomes, right? But I was very surprised that the early game script resulted in respectable drives for the Giants offense, and then what you would think would be, as we pointed to in the years past, right? Offense is three and out, three and out, three and out. The defense gets worn down. Well, the defense got worn down, but they got worn down because they couldn't get themselves off the field, right? You mentioned that turnover, but it comes in a very late in the drive. And then it's another one going into halftime with a nice drive, coming out of halftime with a nice drive, right? It. 
I was surprised to see that this defense and maybe specifically the Patrick Graham didn't seem to be able to manufacture some different looks or some some other challenges for Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos. And I'll, I'll get your take on it because there's even like a substat there that I think fans maybe would gloss over <clears throat> and want to give a check mark to that even as well needs to be included in the, huh, that's surprising. So you hit the nail on the head. I was saying the exact same thing. Uh, I was with my cousin right next to me. We we were like, man, the the defense can't get off. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, we basically said, you know, the giants can't get off the field. The defense can't get off the field. And he turned to me and he's like, yeah, but it's not the offense going three and out after the, you know, the, the defense like rallies and gets them the ball back. It's, they're just chunking it down the field and it's eight, 10, 15 plays that the defense just can't seem to, to, to shake them. You know, uh, listen, we're going to get into Daniel Jones's piece and his, his fumble and his mistake that, that creeps back up in, into this game. But I, I think the, the player plays of the game was the Denver Broncos getting the ball back in the first half with just over two minutes to go in their own territory. And the giants give up a touchdown. Yeah. And and the Broncos are getting the ball back immediately at the end of the half. That, for, to me, felt like the turning point. The Giants are up 7-3 at that exact moment. If you get a stop or, you know, hey, you give up 15, 20 yards, they chuck it down the field, they get a field goal, you're winning at halftime and you feel more positive. It it took the air out of the entire building at MetLife Stadium when they scored that touchdown to go down 10-7 and then have 10 minutes of, of halftime and you're not even getting the ball back when it starts. Yeah, and that was uh, you know, watching it at home uh, had had pessimistic Mike over, and you can imagine where his state of mind was uh, throughout the course of this. But it was, hey, yeah, okay, so stop them here, like you say, they're going to get the ball in the second half, but you'll be up seven three, get a nice little three and out, then get the ball back, and all of a sudden the Giants are up fourteen six. Like that's where your mind was going as that drive started, and obviously it doesn't go that way. And one of the things the sub to me the subplots here was that the Broncos offensively. So by the end of the game. When you go inside the numbers and you look at the, the rushing yards here, right? You say, whoa, like, you know, they had that big Melvin Gordon run. That's kind of the back breaking run in this game. Uh, Melvin Gordon goes 11 for 101, 70 yard run that he goes there uh, 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 for the touchdown. But prior to that, they had amassed about, and Teddy Bridgewater ended up losing some yardage here, I think, as well. But they had they had amassed upwards of 90 rushing yards throughout the course of the game already between Gordon and Williams and Bridgewater. And it's not, it wasn't big numbers, they weren't big chunk plays, but the big surprise to me was that the Giants were not getting in into the backfield on the defensive front, right? They were consistently finding themselves making contact two, three yards upfield as opposed to disrupting the play so that that surprised me on the defensive front side of it where you have Leonard Williams where Candace Cooper said Dexter Lawrence you got to be a big force right like when we talk about what this team how this team is built and, and what they need to check first and foremost in the game it's punch them in the mouth let them know these are negative plays you're going to be running here if you try to hand this ball off instead it was three four yards three four yards consistent little chunks setting up second and third down and reasonables and then when you got into those third downs i thought the other piece that did surprise me was and we, we mentioned this about teddy bridgewater like a mr consistency right what also surprised me was then on third and sevens and eights and nines they were finding eight, nine yard, 10 yard passes. And all that work was being done over the middle of the field, primarily where they were utilizing that space, making it very difficult, forcing Jabril Peppers to come down and pick up a tight end, forcing Blake Martinez or Reggie Ragland to be out there in coverage. Like 
these were manufactured problems by this Broncos offense that, again, Patrick Graham could not seemingly find a way to counteract. Yeah, uh, the the pass rush or lack thereof for the Giants in this game was noticeable. And and this is my problem. I know we're supposed to keep it to this game, but you know the the the, the issues that the Giants had in the offseason seem to to rear their ugly head in in game one. We talk about not having that you know sack artist on the outside or, or someone that can really get pressure. We try to address it with Aziz Ojolari. You know, Odin Nigbo isn't even on the team anymore because it wasn't a good fit. You could see that we weren't able to get the right pressure. And and it, it would be great to get pressure rushing three. I understand that. But like Teddy Bridgewater sat back and and seemed relatively comfortable getting the ball out. And when the Giants are playing zone, we know Teddy Bridgewater is super accurate. He's like one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. He he doesn't necessarily get the ball vertically, even though there were some opportunities in this game. But to your point, he was chunking it away with five, six, seven, ten yard gains. And and that's why the, the, the defense couldn't get off the field because he's accurate and he's not under pressure. Of course, he's going to be able to find some of those talented wide receivers that he has. Yeah, and there's a couple of pieces there too. Like, you know, it's funny, you go inside the numbers, uh the the ratings for both the QBs, 116 for Teddy, 90 for Daniel Jones, QBR, 95 for Mr. Bridgewater, 49 for Daniel Jones. But the average yards per completion were right around 7.2, 7.3. That, that, that's where they were both at. So they were both getting the same number of yards on an average per play basis, but it was about the consistency with, with the, which with they play with, which which they play with. That's a, that's a tricky one. Um, would you say, just pulling back to the macro for a second here, there's a couple of things I wonder about. When you're a team that runs a 3-4 but also doesn't really have the pass rushers, like, I know the Giants made that switch, and I'm not suggesting. Like, they, they worked multiple fronts last year. It feels like you probably are better off looking at having more of a 4-3 scheme with consistency until you identify how you're really going to rush the passer, passer because otherwise in the 3-4 scheme, and this seemed to come up yesterday, was – well, it's a five on three front when you want to run the ball and all of a sudden the lanes get opened up. And while Blake Martinez got through for some tackles and while you had that support, it, it does feel like occupying that space is a little bit more difficult. And, you know, you understand what are you sacrificing there? One less linebacker in coverage potentially, but that didn't seem to be working or very effective for Big Blue. So, you know, in the macro, you, you think about that. You think about how important maybe should it have been to retain Dalvin Tomlinson? I'm not putting it all there, right? But like you you let this piece walk away and assumed you were going to be able to manufacture that success as well. And just we won't stay here too long, but you go out and you sign a Dory Jackson and it has to it has to ask the question, right? When you look at the team and you see areas of strength, I think it's easy to get tantalized by what if we made a strength even stronger as opposed to what if we made a weakness a little bit more balanced? And and the caveat here is Aziz Ojolari is on this team. You know that it's going to take time. Rookie, young players. There were some flashes in this game from a few different guys getting towards the quarterback, um, and they just didn't quite get home on it with young players, Xavier McKinney as well. But, it, it you know, this, 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 this does go back to that kind of roster construction and how you approach this and Wondering a little bit if the, if the Giants and Dave Gettleman chose to bang their head kind of against the wall as opposed to take a look if there's another doorway. So you, you talk about the three four. I'm not going to overreact. The the defense was good last year. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think 
what would be better is to, if you run a three, four system, make sure that you have the guys that you want to do it. Like if you're, if you're a guy that likes a West coast style offense, you want a quarterback that, that is a little bit mobile, right? Like, yeah. like just find the right guys for your system. I'm not necessarily too concerned about that, but I am the things I'm concerned about. And, and this will probably take us more into the negative Adam is the, the things that are a consistent, trend with this team across games or years or players like there are certain things that I can't shake I I will put Daniel Jones over to the side for a second because I'm sure we're going to spend some time there Uh, Jason Garrett uh, I I think that was one of his worst play calling games of his Giants career and that's probably saying a lot because Giant fans know he is the most vanilla boring play caller that we've had here. Like he makes Ben McAdoo look good, right? Like, let me, let me ask real quick. Cause I'm going to let you go with it. Cause I, I know this is where, where a lot of people want to go. Um, do you factor in at all the idea of Kadarius Tony gets one play, doesn't really see the game. Uh, Sterling, uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, you thought he'd be a hundred percent full go. He clearly wasn't got 10 snaps, 30 snaps, 10 carries. Um, you, you know, I mean, do you, do you, fa- you don't have Evan Ingram, are you giving him any pass on that end of it? I know you're not going to, but it, just to set the table as far as this, again, isn't full-blown offense for the Giants technically. Yeah, a, a pr- great question. The answer is absolutely not. And and the reason why is this. Guess what? Sterling Shepard got the ball. Ster- Sterling Shepard got the ball downfield, made plays, and was explosive when you put it in his hands. Look what happens, right? Yeah. The What blew my mind is you spend $20 million on a guy like Kenny Galladay, and it was like it was like they it, they were allergic to calling plays for Kenny Galladay. They put him in positions that that, that like it was almost impossible for him to be successful. Yeah, called that early ball and then basically didn't see him for two and a half, three quarters. Right, and and then and then and you know I'm, the Broncos are, are trying to approach that and shut that down. But but to your point though, plenty of teams have number ones that other teams want to take off the table. And you find you manufacture ways to get him the ball, right? You, you still get him the ball, and there were plenty of single coverages for Kenny Galladay out there. I, I watched it with my own two eyes, I because right. I kept saying you spent twenty million dollars on a big play jump ball, deep vertical wide receiver, and you didn't throw one deep jump ball to Kenny Galladay the whole game. And like I, w- when we got inside the twenty, I, I sat there and said, "Can we just you, you have Kenny Galladay isolated one on one?" Why don't we just do a 50-50 ball out there to him? Daniel Jones is relatively accurate in those pl- p- plays. Kenny Galladay six inches taller than the guy that's guarding him. Give him a chance. And instead, on the fourth down play at the end, they run like a slant out route w- t- and try to force it into Kenny Galladay in a position that makes no sense whatsoever. So that that to me is, is number one is like you spend $20 million on a vertical wide receiver. You don't throw in the ball down the field once. Yeah, so I, I'll give I'll give the I'll give the caveat that uh, Kenny Galladay said this himself, right? It was going to be a a gradual process getting into it, having not had any training camp. So you know, I'll at least I'm just throwing that out there for context of the way the player talked about it. I'm not going to talk about how Jason Garrett frames, you know, what he has his expectations for. You mentioned though, at that point, I think it's twenty to seven at the point that the Giants are down there. I could be could be wrong. They're down two scores. I know that the sequence of events that they go through there, and th- this is really where everything else leading up to that. 
I kind of took it with a grain of salt. You know, listen, there's some plays you'd like to see. You want to see it develop. You saw some good things from Sterling Shepard. You saw Darius Slayton ha- have a couple plays, drop a couple plays. I think that that's typical. You you saw that Kyle Rudolph, clearly either not 100% or not going to be 100% of the player that we thought we were getting in, right? Probably could have used, and this does go to Jason Garrett's lap, probably could have used a bit more Caden Smith in the passing game when you needed some of those plays because he's shown he's capable of doing that. But they got down there in the red zone. Uh, they ran the, the first play was a drop where they tried to run kind of a streak route out of the backfield for Saquon Barkley that Daniel Jones made a poor choice trying to force it to him. But so it, I'm trying to go through as quickly as possible. It's a bad play because when you're in a truncated field like that and the running back comes out, if you bring him out and he goes out into the flat, well, now you're creating space between him and the safeties or the linebackers. When you run him streaking into the end zone, you run him into a dead end. It's like running a player down an alley and then telling him to turn around and try to make a play. So it was a bad play all around. They then have the running play to Saquon. He scampers out. And then to your point, when they try to go to Kenny Galladay there, it's, it is to Kenny Galladay. He is in the end zone, but it's him on the front edge of the end zone. Like it, it makes was no, the, no sense. And no by the sense. way, I think I looked up the fact on the first down play was a fade route to Kyle Rudolph. It was the jump ball opportunity there. And they said that's where Kyle Rudolph, not in the system, doesn't isn't really familiar, doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing there. And they that play has been run before, like to him in his in his previous stops. It's not that it's a terrible play, but the idea that you call it and it isn't Kenny Galladay is a little bit shocking. And you only have to look to the Philadelphia Eagles game where they used Ertz to run up to do a rub route for Devonte Smith to let him bleed out to the end zone from about the same distance. So it's like that, that really is where I honed in as far as play calling from Jason Garrett. I honed in on that, those chunk of plays and said, this is where whatever's going on between the twenties, you can say, you're just trying to get us there. Right. And to that end, you got us there, but now you're there. And this is when you need to be at your most creative. The Giants were 31st in the red zone last year, and they did not help that stat yesterday in the game. And, and that's what that part was really frustrating to me when you think about trying to manufacture opportunities. And it just it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a lack of creativity. I, I, I don't know what this leash looks like for Garrett. I don't know internally how they feel about it. I, and this, this is the piece where I don't want to go. Any level of real overreaction from this one game because – rookie players because not at full strength right i i think two games is where i'll i'll develop my concrete thoughts and then two more games is where i'll confirm or deny that this is going in the direction it it may feel like yeah so listen i i can understand that we need to preach like everyone take a deep breath it's it's never as bad as it as it seems and it's never as good as as the sun shining on the days where where we play well what i will say is in a vacuum when you look at this game, the Giants went vertical down the field on the first possession. And guess what happens? They get a 50-yard catch by Darius Slayton moving the ball down the field. And you're like, all right, we're in business. Like This vertical threat is real, and it's going to open things up. And of course, they try to run some ridiculous reverse play on first down for Kadarius Toney that loses a bunch of yards in the backfield, pushes them out of field goal range, and they don't try a 55-yarder with Graham Gano. It, mm-hmm. the, the play calling from that moment on was just terrible. The one other time they threw the ball down the field, it was to Sterling Shepard on a you know a, on a little out route for 15 yards, danced up the sideline and scored a touchdown. A- Adam, to me, it's inexcusable to not try to get the ball down the field when you see all the advanced metrics say that Daniel Jones throws a great deep ball. And yeah. if we're gonna and if we're gonna say 
The reason why we're doing all this is because the offensive line can't hold off pressure. We got to go do something then because how are you supposed to evaluate Daniel Jones if you're not allowing him to do the thing that he does the best, which is get the ball down the field, make plays. He has super accurate throws when he moves it 20 yards or more down, down the field. He was number one in the league last year in deep ball accuracy. Like how can we not get the ball down the field? It's either Daniel Jones's lack of awareness or Jason Garrett's play calling one of the two. And I don't know which one it is, but I'm leaning toward Jason Garrett right now. Yeah. And so when we think about a little bit about Daniel Jones here, one of the elements is, you know, you want to have the running game help set up the passing and what you want to accomplish there. There was no real running game here. And this is kind of what we, we feared would be the adjustment by most teams, right? You bring in a Kenny Galladay, you feel like you have all these weapons and then you turn around and say, right. But what the defense is going to do is say, we're going to shut down one phase of the game on you. And you know, we'll see a lot of it. There's some turf issues. It felt like for a lot of giants players, which is odd because you're at home, but Saquon Barkley, didn't look like he was really planting full force, just you know, a little tentative. I actually liked his style of running. It just it wasn't quite ramped up yet. But w- when you think about now the Broncos say, okay, we're going to stuff this run, right? We're just not going to give you opportunities. And we're going to put you into these passing situations. Trying to get that ball down the field uh, obviously came with, I mean, uh, you know, just with with issues that I don't, I, I don't know where they fall because so Daniel Jones, here's the interesting thing that I took away from his day. And we're going to get to the, obviously the fumble here, but you can't look past the fumble, obviously, but this idea that everyone's going to come and say, well, like, well, there you go right now. Here's my thing. If Daniel Jones, and by the way, he had another handful of runs after that and he looked good doing it. And I could make the case that Jason Garrett should have been using him running the ball sooner in the game. Who knows? Maybe he would have fumbled it three times, but you know, take off the shackles, let, let this guy play. And if it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. But at least maybe the, the high notes are going to be that much better for you. He was 12 of 18 at one point in this game, you know, before things really for the team started to unravel, he went 10 of 19 over the remainder of the game. Right. And I, this is where I think his day looks, ends up looking very pedestrian, 267, 22 of 37 only completes, 59% of his passes, you know, everything ends up looking really vanilla by the end of it because he spends the last quarter trying to just, it's pure passing. There's no running plays. You're trying to get anything to do to get back in the game, etc. So I actually thought just before he fumbled that ball, that it was a good game for him, that he was doing exactly what you wanted him to do. And I'm not, I'm not excusing the fumble because the reality for Daniel Jones is if, one of the things you do well, which is run, cannot be utilized because the other thing you don't do well is protect the ball. He wasn't hit hard. It was just, no. you just can't <clears throat> run. So if we had to think about you as an athletic pocket passer, well, that mitigates some of your value. And then if you have an offensive coordinator that isn't going to be able to lean into or doesn't feel confident leaning into the deep ball, get vertical kind of mentality, all of a sudden Daniel Jones just kind of becomes, I don't know, you know, You'd love him to become what uh, Chad Pennington. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're restricting him so much. And this is a part of it is on Daniel Jones. If you can't run the ball and then still maintain possession of it, that, that's a problem because the, the holes are there. The opportunity is there to pick up little chunk plays and we can't rely on you to do it. Well, th- the problem is, is that the turnovers aren't happening from one particular situation with Daniel Jones. That's the big concerning thing for me. Yeah. I know it's the preseason, but you look at the last preseason game. They're on the one yard line. He rolls out and throws an inexcusable pick, right? This one, he he's 
at the 22-yard line. He runs for seven yards. He's in the red zone. Doesn't protect the football. A lot I don't of want to other- go negative. He had a couple. He had the play when he went for Saquon Barkley that got tipped away uh, by the secondary. Could have been a pick. There was enough, mm-hmm. maybe one. You know, those are op- and this happens in every game for every quarterback. Right. But this could have been a two interception fumble day for Daniel Jones. Yeah, and and then in the pocket, people talk about his pocket awareness is where he generally fumbles the ball, not even using his feet. So you're talking about three different ways that he's turned the ball over. And and again, Adam, it's not Tunnel that vision on some receivers as well. Uh, yes. you know, got to acknowledge that. Like he it, wants he he looks to his first route, but he gets the second one. He likes it, and he waits, 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 waits to get that pass off. So I mean, they're, 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 I, I am here to criticize him. It's not this is not a Daniel Jones defense. So, so uh, what I don't understand is uh, we talk about the play calling when they do the two minute drill and they do the no huddle, you start to feel a little bit more momentum with this team. I think it, I think it helps Daniel Jones not really think overthink each play. It's like, Oh, I got to get to the line. Oh, I got to do my reads. I got to get to the next play and the next play. And you start to get in a rhythm that they, they only ran the two minute drill once for mop up time, right? It's like, why are we not exploring these other options and getting more creative? Uh, it felt like play calling wise, we were trying to just hang in the game and hope to make a play at the end yeah. of it and try not to lose as opposed to go out and win the game. And that's really where I get frustrated it's because Daniel Jones's turnover wasn't them trying to go, like take a shot deep. It wasn't, it wasn't like getting creative on offense that caused us to do this. It was just a run of the mill play of the game, you know, you know, avoid pressure. I need us to be more creative and not be afraid to try to go get the victory as opposed to, well, let's keep it like seven, seven at home against the five and 11 team going into the fourth quarter. Like that can't be the mentality that we have if we want to win games. And this is, this is that the chicken or the egg thing around Jason Garrett, right? It's like, is it Jason Garrett and his lack of creativity or is it Jason Garrett knowing that when I try to get creative, Daniel Jones is more likely to do something and get, you know, a fumble, have a fumble, have an interception and put us in a bad hole. So that's, I think what the offensive side of the ball is dealing with right now. There's this spectrum of things, right? I, I, again, so week one. And I think what's funny is you and I talked about like, there's any number of ways that this game could go on Sunday and you could feel good or bad in a win or a loss, depending on how things looked. That that was not that wasn't one of the ones. That was not one of the ways where the defense surrenders drive after drive with consistency, where Teddy Bridgewater is completing 80% of his passes, where the offensive line for the Giants looks okay, but we still don't score points. Like it it was the perfect combination of all of these elements that that still leave you then going. Like mm. again, it only takes one better drive by the offense in the game or one successful drive, take away the fumble, put three points on the board even, and it changes how the Broncos approach it. But uh, pessimistic Mike said this while we were watching, man, there was a, there was a sense of the Broncos didn't fear what the giants were going to do defensively or offensively, right? They were making all their choices going forward at midfield on a fourth down. Like all their decision-making was based on themselves and how they felt about what they were able to do. And that just that that really does tell you a lot about what the Giants game plan looked like and how it was executed yesterday, because it was almost like, yeah, whatever. We're just we're running our system. They have yet to tell us that we can't do something we want to. So why are we going to worry about it? So, Adam, (sighs) this is the tough part that Giant fans probably don't want to have the answer to the question, but I need to ask it because it's just sitting out there right now. At the end of the day, Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator of, of, of the Broncos, and he called a great game. Like he called, he put 
his players in the best position for success. You have Teddy Bridgewater out there. Teddy Bridgewater was traded from the Carolina Panthers to the Denver Broncos for a sixth round pick. The Broncos are paying Teddy Bridgewater less than the Giants are paying Daniel Jones. And to be honest with you, Teddy Bridgewater was the much better quarterback on Sunday. Now, I need to pose the question. If we if Daniel Jones can't look better at home in with with ideal weather circumstance, uh, he, if he does not look better than Teddy Bridgewater who by any uh, stretch of the imagination is is probably the 16th to 22nd best quarterback in the league, right? Like he's somewhere in the bottom half, but not bottom third. If Daniel Jones in, in, in like, you know, can't look better after this much time than Teddy Bridgewater, like where is the ceiling for Daniel Jones? And, and does it make you wonder like, man, if you could get someone like Teddy Bridgewater to start for your team for $3 million and a sixth round pick and just write the ship, Oh, you're confused. Yeah, you're confused because Teddy Bridgewater wouldn't look like that starting for the New York Giants. Like, I think that's kind of the point here is that like and it's again, uh, Daniel Jones didn't play well. He didn't look good. The Giants may may have to move on at their quarterback and use their two second round first round picks next year to accomplish getting a new franchise opportunity for themselves. This is this isn't again, it's, it's the way the team gets constructed, right? When you go back to the draft and you think about, well, when you make the choice at 20, Okay, you made the trade back. Now at twenty, you could have done anything. We just—I talked about this yesterday. Watching the game, what, take Joe, take Tryon. Right, we love that kid. Oh, that's way too high. Is it way too high if you know you have a need and you need to fill it, or do you want to go with the sexy extra weapon when you get to position X in, in the free agency and you say, should we sign a Dory Jackson or should we look at another area of this team that we need to improve so that we're as balanced as we can possibly be? Like, and Daniel Jones gets thrown into that group as well. Should we be bringing in a veteran quarterback and automatically moving on or whatever the case may be? It's been a poorly run organization. The decision-making process is not great. And we didn't even touch on this, and we have to at least acknowledge it here at the end of the day, that Joe Judge throwing that challenge flag on a touchdown, which is automatically reviewed, and you have no ability to do that, and it costs you a timeout. Like, these are the kind of things, right? When we talk about who we like or don't like, and, oh, well, it's Gettleman, it's Mara's the problem, and then Gettleman's the problem. But we all want to keep ourselves away from Joe Judge, and I'm not going to put him you know, over the coals here for it, but it's just, you know, he said, and he, he said, it's frustration piece. Want to get in the ear of the referee a little bit there, but I know I can't do that. I shouldn't do it, whatever. It, it, it's like there's a Giants element here that's infectious, right? It catches everybody. And I think you look across town and remember about Sam Darnold. You just saw him win a game against his former team yesterday. And you just get that feeling of like, is this organization in a position to bring in talented players, utilize them, and create an opportunity for the team to have success. I, I don't know, right? And now a quick turnaround as we look ahead to Thursday, and we're going to get a quick answer here about where this team is at and what this season looks like because week one tells you this is going to be a very long year potentially, one where I think the Giants will grow and get better, but there are still all of the same tentpole issues that we've talked about for the last three seasons waiting to be answered. Like you said, short week, team heads to the Washington football team. The the defensive uh, prowess of their team is not going to make it any easier on this offense, Adam. Yep. I, what what I will say is, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick went down with an injury. We don't know his status yet. Uh, it sounds like it could be a hit. 
the Giants may be facing Taylor Heineke. And and so the, the, the worst of the two quarterbacks to have to face. I'm, I'm, more, <laughs> I'm more nervous now about the matchup well, than I was before. Well, and, and, and this to me speaks to like, you know, if if Heineke outshines Daniel Jones again, then then yeah. in the first two weeks you've had Teddy Bridgewater and Taylor Heineke outplaying our you know first round top six draft pick in Daniel Jones. And I know, like you said, a lot of it is organizationally, systemically, culture. It could be anything. Yep. But I will say, short week, Giants need to get this right. They gotta at least look competitive on the field. It's a division game. Going to be tough to win it on the road. We'll get into our predictions and everything when we come back in on Thursday. But let's just look better. Let's start moving things in the right direction as opposed to what happened on Sunday. Jam-packed one is just looking better enough. We'll find out as we work our way through the week. You can follow us on social media, One Giant Podcast, over on YouTube, where we're really bulking it up over there with some guests and different clips and segments and fantasy picks and game predictions. So follow us over there. Subscribe to the channel if you so choose. And, of course, listen to the podcast wherever you get it in your ears. I guess would be the, the way that you consume that. I know I know how podcasts work. eyes. Yeah. Yeah, either way. It's, you you use, use all the appendages, I guess. You know, taste it, feel it, touch it. Want it, need it, desire it. Uh, and as Andy Mackwitz, in spite of yesterday, would want, need, and demand that people know. As always, let's go big blue. Mackwitz.